This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith. He's Derek Terry. And it's another day in the life of what in the heck is going to go on with Kentucky basketball's roster, Derek. Yeah, it is. It's uh, going to be the game we play for potentially, you know, another month or two, maybe even longer with the NBA draft decisions now going all the way to July. But you're right, Sean. Just always uh, this off season. It seems like with the portal, there's always going to be something going on, and, and for UK, more speculation. Yeah, and this episode is powered by Blue Wire Pods. It's also powered by the Butcher's Pub, with two locations: one in Palmville, one in Williamsburg. Third one coming to London, Kentucky later this month. It's Taco Tuesday at the pub, Derek. At both locations, you get out there. I think it's. Uh, I can't remember if it's how much the price is. Let me look at the information. I think it's two $2 tacos, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, $2 tacos. That's a really good deal at the Butcher's Pub, both locations. So get out there. You can visit thebutcherspub.com, or you can check them out on Facebook for more information. But as we were talking about, Derek, let's let's start off. Before we get into possible additions to this roster, Let's let's touch on the one thing that always comes out the morning after the national championship game is everyone kind of gets a jump start on how good or how bad is someone going to be in the following year. Now, this year seems like it could be even a little bit more messy because we have no idea what any of these rosters are going to look like. But just off of what we know about Kentucky, everyone expects John Calipari to get Kentucky back to at least being a good team with the possibility of an addition here or there, maybe a great team. Yeah, and it it is like you said, it's it's been noted in all these um publications that we'll mention here in a minute about where Kentucky is ranked that this year more than any other year you really just have no idea right now. I mean, used to you could, and I think it still works a little bit better for football cuz with football obviously you're not going to have as you will have transfers like like always, but the bulk of your roster a lot of times will be back uh, with an 85-man roster limit, whereas the basketball, I mean, you can talk about a team like Kentucky that might have eight new guys or whatever. It's really hard to slot them in, and they're still recruiting. So the way I look at this, it's just stri- strictly for fun, Sean. And that's how it always is. I mean, it's just fun to kind of see where, where some of these people who follow the sport very closely might see Kentucky next year. And it seemed like the consensus – is somewhere in the teens, Sean, somewhere in there, kind of all over the place. I know you wrote these out if you want to go through some of them. Uh, USA Today is the only one that we looked at that we saw anyway so far that had Kentucky in the top ten. Yeah. USA Today had UK at number nine. And uh, 
the lowest that we had here was Sports Illustrated at 19. So all in that range. Most of the publications at UK somewhere in there. Fair, Sean? High, low? What do you think? Uh, nine, I think, is going off of everybody just kind of throws this out. Has it just been a year that's an outlier? I think that's why you see Kentucky at nine in USA Today. The other ones, Derek, I think are the ones that you look and you could see Kentucky being that with the pieces that you expect to come back and what they've added so far, I think it's fair. I think the 14, 15, 14 to 19 is where I would have them right now based off of the pieces they have coming in, the pieces that announced they're coming back and what we expect them uh, to possibly have. But this is a roster, Derek, that I think if they add an elite guy at guard, in the transfer portal, and then they go get another piece, or like let's say Davion Mintz comes back and announces that he is, I think it's a team that will find themselves somewhere between 8 to 11, possibly a little higher, depending on how, obviously, how the other rosters shake out. Yeah, and it's worth noting, too, that all these websites kind of had their own uh, lineup for Kentucky next year. Like Jeff Borzello at ESPN had, had Kentucky's lineup as I believe it was Nolan Hickman. I'm, Dante Allen was in a starting lineup yeah. with, with Keon Brooks. Like some of these some of these places had different – and obviously you can only rank Kentucky right now based on who you think or who you know for sure is going to be back next year. So I think he had Hickman, Grady, Allen, Brooks, and Sheboy. I think it was what Borzella had it as. But, you know, I, I, I would agree with you. I think that's probably about the right spot and – it's still going to be – next year's roster, no matter what, is going to be – I don't know if I'd say patchwork, but you're still probably looking at a starting lineup that probably has, would you say, four new starters, I would say. Unless Mintz comes back, then maybe yeah. three. Because I think if you get Brooks or, or Jackson back, one of those guys is obviously going to start at the four, I would say. And if Mintz comes back, he'll start, and that'll be a returning starter. But if Mintz doesn't come back, like, obviously, Borzella didn't have him in there, I don't think. So you're looking at four new guys. But I'm kind of with you. And when I look at some of these other teams that are on these lists, I mean, UCLA is preseason number one on uh, on CBS, which I thought was kind of crazy. Alabama's about number three. Number three, Alabama. This is not football. This is basketball we're talking about. They're number three in the preseason rankings. And I look at some of these teams and I think, man, if these are really going to be the projected top teams next year, Kentucky might not be that far off. Yeah. A move here or there from being, you know, preseason anyway, one of those better teams. Let's uh, let's say they do have that impact point guard you're talking about uh, via transfer. Grady's there. Um, let's say Mintz comes back. So there's your three guards. And Fonzay Jackson came back with Sheboy. I don't know if you're going to have too many starting fives on paper that are going to be better than that. And – that would certainly move UK up a little bit if that's the case, and I think most of these will. You're going to see these lists shuffle probably a whole lot oh, yeah. as more transfers commit or recruits still even commit. So NBA make them for what they're worth. That. Yeah. So where does Kentucky stand right now, Derek, in recruiting rankings? Like where does this class with Hickman yeah. and those guys – have you looked – I've not even looked at it. I really. have. I have looked it up, and I was going to mention that. I'm glad you reminded me because I forgot about that. So they after Alabama got a commitment today, and I don't know I don't want to butcher this kid's name. I, I believe it's Betty Betty Yako, maybe 
Do you know Bidiaco, something like that? Uh, Charles uh, is his first name. He's going to Alabama. He committed today. We'll so I moved to Alabama. <laughs> Do what? We'll call him Charles. Char- yes, young man named Charles committed to Alabama today. And he, that moved them up to number three. So Alabama right now has the top class in the SEC. Kentucky is sixth. They've never finished slower than second, I believe, right, under Cal? They haven't. It, which is sixth this year. Which could tell you things might be changing. Not not that Kentucky's conceding top classes in that, but, I mean, they had the number one class coming in this coming season, Derek, or this past season, and the right, as it stands, there's only one guy that's left, yep. and that's Lance Ware. So I don't want to get caught up in them having to have the number one class because that does not mean instant success. We've seen that. I think it could signal something different, though. Is John Calipari going to build his rosters from the transfer portal, which then does not – translate and show up in recruiting rankings you're right I do think eventually so if you look at the average star rating um, in the composite Kentucky would still be second Duke would have the number one class just off of average rating so Kentucky Duke up at the top like like normal because right now like Alabama's class is basically built I mean it's a good class don't get me wrong but it's also these recruiting sites still value quantity so you get more points obviously the more commitments you have so I did our class calculator thing on 24-7, the feature that's on there. If you were to add Tamar Bates, who is the former Texas signee who was recruited by Jay Lucas to Texas, if and I'm not saying he is coming here. I've not really heard anything on him, actually, since he got out of his letter of intent. But if he were to come here, that would move UK up to number two. So one commitment from a a solid prospect. I think he's like a top 60 player, not, not anywhere near a five-star or anything. Just landing him, would UK move up? It would move UK up four spots. So that's where you kind of see the quantity thing come into it. So I'm with you, though, that uh, one, you will probably see four guys, maybe five guys in a lot of classes and the rest, whatever additions they need from the transfer portal. But I also think you'll see recruiting rankings, the formula change here soon, because I think the transfer portal will become such a big thing in college basketball. It already is, I guess, that I think the big websites will start factoring that in. And it'll be a tedious process, probably ranking every single player and then go from there. Um, but I think that would give you a better overall. Like if you take like if you take Kellen Grady and Oscar Sheboy and, and mix them in with this class, I mean, how do you I think you just have to account for all newcomers basically. And I think eventually you will see the sides go to that and that will be the standard practice. But we're still so early into this thing that you're still gonna see basically transfer rankings and then high school rankings and then just kind of a mix of those and and then you've got to try to figure out how you judge these teams based on the incoming talent with guys that we know a lot about from college versus guys that we don't know so much about uh, from the high school circuit yeah and one thing I'm going to make a prediction on right now could we finally see a John Calipari lineup that does not include a freshman in the starting five so you got Shibway who you know is going to start at the five so Shibuya yeah. will technically be a junior next year, right? Or did he get to? Unless he uses that, I would. If I were him, I would use that year, and which that would be late. It would be after yeah. you your clock kind of expires. Uh, yeah. To me, it seems like Collins would be the only one, right? That would be the only one that I would think, because uh, and that's if Mintz comes back. So let's say Mintz comes back and plays the two, and let's say Grady's the other guy on the perimeter there. It's going to be a senior. Just for the fun of it, let's say Keon Brooks has made his decision, comes back and plays the four, and then they add a point guard from the portal. 
That could yeah. be senior, 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 junior, junior. Yep. Never seen that before under Calipari, Kentucky. I don't think there has there ever been a Kentucky team that only had one freshman. Oh, Maxie started on last season's team as a freshman. Has there been another one? Trey Lyles was on the team in 2015 that was very good. So yeah, that would be the year before before Poitras got. Well, no, Anthony Towns was was starting. That's right, so, he was there too. Uh, yeah, I don't the think first. there's been a team without a freshman. Yeah, yeah. And there's been some teams that only had freshmen <laughs> in the starting five. So, yeah. so it's definitely uh, could be a first. That that's a story in itself if it happens. And who's uh, who's to say that Damian Collins doesn't come in and he starts him at the four, but. You're starting to look at this and see where they're not going to have to lean on freshmen next year, which I think when you're coming off of nine and sixteen seasons, the last thing you'd want to do is lean on freshmen. Yeah, it's a good point. Also, while we're here today, I've got a hot take, Sean. Based off of based off of nothing, <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I uh, and it's April, so no one's going to go back and pull this up on me. I don't think. I think I'm starting to get that vibe that Bryce Hopkins might make the most impact out of these freshmen next year, depending on what happens at the four. Because if Brooks is gone and Jackson doesn't come back, then I think Collins obviously benefits the most from that. You'll see him play a lot. My guess would be at that point he would have the most. But I'm thinking at least one of those guys is back next year. And Collins mostly plays a reserve role. And I get it. I think Hopkins will as well. But I think we're going to look back, and I think he might end up being the best freshman next year. Which is wild to say, but it kind of is in line with, you and I watching highlight tapes of him in recent weeks and seeing that he does have a little bit more to his game than what we thought. And that's me thinking he might be a three. I, I've talked to some guys who think he, he should be a four. I'm guessing he gets most of his minutes early at the three. If he shoots it well enough, then it, it, it works. Yeah. And from his highlight tape, he's, he's explosive. He's strong. He's big. He's a To me, he's a more skilled Alex Poitras when it comes to ball handling. And body control, Alex obviously would cram on you, but I think Hopkins is more skilled. And but just his body kind of reminds me of that a little. He should have enough bodies at the four that he he's not going to play down there. I don't think not with Top in there, not with Ware still on the roster most likely. And then you know, and maybe he has to play down there some if Brooks and Jackson are gone. But the way I see it right now is like I actually think this is turning out to be. Uh, uh, basically, I could see like one true backup at each position. I guess what I'm trying to get at, like, I think it'll be a transfer point guard that starts with Hickman backing him up. If Mintz were to come back, I think he would be backed up by Dante Allen, which and Allen could play either, you know, two or the three, whatever. But then Kellen Grady, obviously, he's not really a forward, but another guard in the lineup, just a three guard lineup. I could see there Hopkins getting some minutes then, if you want to play some lineups like that. Uh. At the three. How how many, I don't know. That was just, I felt like, giving a hot take today. So And, and the thing, too, Derek, is you, you're going to have a couple of guys there that hustle and grit. We'll yeah. get them on the floor. Like Jacob Toppin this year, just his hustle. When you watched the national championship game last night, what was the one thing that stood out about Baylor? Every they, they guy. Were they were. They just had, they were all over the place, hustling like crazy. You know who else hustles? Blue Wire. Blue Wire Hustle. I want to take the next few minutes to talk to you about if you're wanting to host your own podcast, there's no better place than our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. 
Blue Wire Hustle is what I want to talk to you about. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, Derek, it's only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than listen to us talk about your Kentucky Wildcats, then make your voice heard and hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Or check out the description box in this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Derek, continuing our conversation here, we talked a lot about uh, the rankings, obviously, and at the start of this, but there's one thing that kind of sends this one way or the other, right? They're middle of the pack right now when it comes to the top 25 in preseason rankings, but if they add some pieces, it goes up. If they don't get the right guys, it goes down. So Marcus Carr is a name that has obviously been thrown out, and you see Kentucky being linked there as quietly as things worked with Kellen Grady. Who's to say that they're not as quietly working with Marcus Carr right now? And then you get that point guard that's experienced, that gets downhill, listed at 6'2". Looking at his stats, he, his two-point percentage was a little low. You like to see that climb a little. But it's a guy that is, like I've been talking about for weeks, is removed from that AAU circuit of basketball who's been in a system in a major conference, two major conferences, might I add, ACC early and then the Big Ten. You know what you're getting from him if that's who they go with. That's another old guy. I mean, this will be his fifth year if he comes back to school and and does transfer to Kentucky. You'd have two fifth-year guys, and then Mintz will be his sixth, right, if he came back? Yeah. So, you have a bunch of old men out there. Um, but, no, I, I know there has been some some questions, I guess, maybe with his efficiency, car that is. Uh, I've not watched full games from him, but he apparently he shot it a lot last year. But I always take that a bit worth a grain of salt because he played on a bad team. He was their best player, averaged 19 points. Um, he averaged 4.9 assists and four rebounds a game. So, really scored the ball well for a point guard. Uh, and like you said, I mean, this is a guy, though, with a lot of experience. Transferred from Pittsburgh after 2018. This was pre-everybody uh, getting a, a waiver back then, so he sat out a whole season in 2018-19. But then he started every single game, Sean, since 60 games that he started at Minnesota 
Look at those assist numbers. Yep, 6.5 as a junior. Yeah, 400-plus, I think, for his career, over 1,300 points. That's that's the thing we're talking about here. When and, and look at the guys that stood out last night in the national championship game. How many guys transferred into that Baylor program, Derek? There, there are multiple well, I names. I didn't have the numbers, yeah, but it was some of the, some of their best players had, had transferred in there. You're right. I mean, it was uh, all those teams that really shot. I mean, look at Nimhard at at Gonzaga, someone who had been at Florida and started for two years, and then UCLA led by Juzang, and who was the other team? Houston. I think Houston had had a few transfers as well. I mean, it's just part of it. You're gonna have transfers these days. And- and we talked about not to knock that Kellen Grady was from the A-10 and played at Dayton. So we're talking last night's game. Tegan Flagner, uh, this was a tweet from David Till, talking about those players started their career in the Big South and then at UNC Asheville and Presbyterian. And they just were big-time performers in the national championship game last night. That's why you can't knock where these kids come from. Like you don't, I mean, if you do knock Davidson, you're kind of losing your mind anyhow because that's where Stephen Curry came from. So that's why I don't want, I don't want to get the whole, because I know when I wrote the story on Grady, somebody's like, so a Davidson kid's going to make Kentucky better. Yeah, absolutely he is. Because when you look at his skill set, he, he fits what they want to do or what they need. Marcus Carr, um, going off his comparable players, um, on, on Ken Palm. Some really impressive names, Sean, over the last two years. For his junior year, here are a few of the guys that his profile was um, comparable to. Melo Trimble, Shabazz Napier, Cassius Winston, Fred Van Vliet, obviously from Wichita State. All guys, most of those guys I think were in the NBA. So this past year, Brian Tyree, who was a great guard for Ole Miss, Jalen Adams, another NBA guy, Isaiah Cannon from Murray State, NBA guy, Aaron Holiday. NBA guy, Remy Martin, who I believe was at Butler, uh, Deontay Burton, Bryce Cotton. I mean, a lot of – those are names that if you really follow college basketball closely, you know those names that I just mentioned. You do. And I think that out of the guys that we know are in the portal, as it stands right now, that's their best option. We talked about Grady, and the Justin Powell was in the portal, and we talked about what would be the better fit. Now, if they had gotten Justin Powell, I think Kentucky fans would have taken it. Obviously, we would have talked it up, too, because it would be a better addition than some of the pieces they've had. But as soon as Grady went in the portal, we talked about what? That's that's the guy you got to go get first. This is where I got in talking about in the rundown where it didn't make sense to just go throw Justin Powell into the mix with Kellen Grady, and if Davion Mitz comes back, you want a game-changing guy. And it, it's not an elite-level talent. You're not going out and getting a first-round NBA draft pick. If it is Marcus Carr, it's not John Wall, it's not De'Aaron Fox, it's not those guys. But what it is is it's a significant upgrade from what you've had. And when you put that piece with guys like Kellen Grady, Dante Allen that can stretch the floor, if Davion Mintz does come back, another guy there in the backcourt, you put him with an Oscar Shibway, you put him with great players around him, maybe that two-point percentage and all those other things go up because he's not having to do as much. Exactly, Yeah. Obviously, he wouldn't be taking the, the shots he was taking, the, the number of shots he was taking at Minnesota if he's here. And that's the same, like you said, with Grady, too. I mean, if you go look at Grady's numbers, he had games where he was way off, for sure. You're not going to be counted on. And, you know, the way that he was at Davidson and his importance to if they won or lost, uh, were to win or lose, I mean, I don't think it's going to be the same here. 
So in a way, though, does that make it a little harder to project what they what they might be preseason, though, in terms of like your thing about numbers, just because they'll be coming into a new system, yeah, be around guys better. Which I mean, I just kind of like the idea of that, like you said, that having guys who are, who have been in college for five years, like I think it's easier to gel guys like that than it is all young players coming in. Like I think Carr and Grady could, could work off each other pretty well. Um, same deal with Mintz. All these guys who have been around a long time, I think they can come in and really, really click a lot sooner. Well, and, and the thing, too, that you don't have, you don't have egos to worry about. These guys are, are, are guys who have been in college for three, some of them four, some of them five years. The egos are gone at that point in your career. You know what you are. To get to year four in college basketball tells me you've sacrificed at some point already in your career because you're still in college. And I just think that you've carved out a role before somewhere, and that's what makes it easier for a Davion Mintz to come into Kentucky and carve out a role. And that that's why I just – I really like the way it's starting to shape out with what they're wanting to do. Obviously, I'm going to be hesitant to crown them a Final Four contender because I want to see this, Derek. Calipari's best teams have play seven to eight guys. They don't yep. play nine, ten. I want to be able to look at this roster in July and tell you on this podcast who seven, who six, seven, and eight are. If I can do that, then I think I'll be able to tell you that they're going to be good again. If I can't do that, then I'm a little eh because then you go into a year not knowing what you got. And I don't think John Calipari is going into this year without knowing what he has. Yeah, and obviously 2015 is the exception. I'm not, you know, they played ten guys, but they made it work, or nine guys, I guess. Once. Uh, once Poitras got hurt. But when you think back to 2010, how deep was that? You had Dotson off the bench. had Orton off the bench. And, probably, and I know they had some seniors on that team. Stevenson. I think Razor Ramon was on that team, wasn't he? He Razor was. But, but even but when the, you – go ahead. Sorry. Well, I mean, yeah, you go to the next year, and they're playing – Six what, guys. Six guys, basically. Six yeah. or seven. And then the next year, same deal. Seven guys on that title team pretty much. Those were very good teams. You go to 2017. Um, offensively, that was a pretty strong team. You had Wendy and Gabriel off the bench on that team. Humphreys kind of was like an emergency guy. Played really well in the tournament. Hawkins. Hawkins. Like Michael Mulder's in the NBA, and he barely played on that team. Yeah, he was so, number nine. Yeah, so you didn't see him a whole lot. And I, I agree with you there. Uh, this past year, I, th- I think that was just out of necessity. He was trying to find anything that would work. and He never narrowed it down. No, yeah, he never did. I mean, so like like we talked about in the post game podcast, uh, Lance Ware. How many minutes did he play against Mississippi State? And he had barely played. Yeah, or he had games the, where he didn't play at all. And then only thirty yeah. minutes. Like yeah. that that right there is enough to look at it and see that this staff tried everything. I really think they exhausted themselves trying all options to make. I don't think John Calipari gave up. Like he didn't quit coaching is what I'll say because he kept trying. But when you're doing that into February and March, that was a bad sign because in, in the other year, I mean, look, we're talking about Johnny Juzang being in the Final Four and just killing dudes. And he didn't get nearly the amount of minutes that a lot of these guys got this year because those teams had their guys defined as their roles were defined. 
This team did not. No one carved out a role at any point outside of Davion Mintz being their late-game guy. Everybody else was just hit or miss. Now, Isaiah Jackson obviously was really good, and I will say this. Had Kentucky been good, I don't even think we'd have a decision right now with Isaiah Jackson. I think he'd already be gone because he would have showcased himself a little more. But the fact that Kentucky was bad, I think it kind of showed not as much attention was on Isaiah Jackson, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but then he he hurt himself some games, getting in foul trouble. Where he, he did. Really be out there. Um, Boy, if he comes back, though, if he comes back and they add a guard, I think they're top five. He's interesting to me with style of play. And on this podcast, I guess I would recognize I've kind of had it as an either-or with Jackson or Brooks. I don't know. I don't know what odds I would put if it's one or the other or if neither or if both, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see both being back, but I don't, I don't know that. Um, but I think the style of play, wouldn't you see it being a little bit different? Cause I think Jackson actually has a, his form seems okay with the jumper. If he really worked to improve it, maybe he could step out a little bit more next year, but I feel like Brooks has a little bit more potential from the outsider at, th- at this point in his career. Would you agree, disagree there? Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. So I kind of feel like the way you play might be a little bit different if, if you have Brooks over Jackson or vice versa if you have Jackson over Brooks. How, how do you kind of view that whole style of play? Is it a big deal to you? Is it changed significantly depending on who it is? As long as they've got the perimeter options, like Grady and Allen still getting minutes there and they've, and they've got shooters on the perimeter, then it, it doesn't change a whole lot to me. If Keon Brooks is back, I think he starts, even if that is at the three. Like I just would see it being that way. Now I don't think both are coming back though. If I don't either, I just don't see it. Like right here, I've got the roster. So this this is what we have. So let's just say that Keon's coming back and that Davion Mintz has told us that he's coming back. So as it stands, it'd be Damian Collins, Oscar Sheboy, Keon Brooks, Jacob Toppin, Bryce Hopkins, Lance Ware, Kellen Grady, Dante Allen, Davion Mintz, Nolan Hickman. That's ten names right there. Only four of them are perimeter players. So that there you could see they're going to add a perimeter piece. Isaiah Jackson, question mark beside him. They're clearly still recruiting Walker Kessler, so they're trying to add a front court piece. It just I just don't see how with the front court here, where Hopkins, Toppin, Keon, Oscar, Collins, and then another front court piece, somebody has to leave, right? That'd be seven guys in the front court if they're trying to add another front court piece, which tells yeah. me someone is leaving. I would think so. Yeah, I just there's not enough minutes to go around. There's not, and, and you've got people there that Hopkins, Toppin, Keon. I kind of mold into the same thing there, where you could, they can play the three or the four. I don't really know what you want to do with that though. Do you want all three of those guys? Because someone's going to be left out. I, I just don't know how it fits. Uh, Damian Collins and Oscar, you see, can play together at times, but you could also see Damian coming in when Oscar's not in and anchoring the five spot. If Isaiah Jackson comes back and those three are there rotating four or five, I could see it working. I just don't know what – I guess what I'm trying to find out right now as I'm looking at, there's one guy that I've circled, and it's Lance Ware. I just don't know where he fits in this. If they add another big, if they add a forward, I could see it, but if they add another big, I don't know. I'm with you there. Um, not saying that he's transferring. I'm not saying that at all. But 
I said the same thing about when Devin asked and all these guys announced he's coming back. I was waiting on official. I just want to hold off a little bit longer before I just lock someone into this. So if where you said he's the last guy left from last year's class, if I'm not mistaken, because Devin Askew transferred, Clark Boston are gone, Jackson declared. Is it was there six guys in that class? Uh, more, yeah. Well, obviously Fletcher, yeah. Yeah, Fletcher's gone. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> yeah, he's the last guy. Uh, yeah, as of now, he is. We'll see. You know what? Yeah, obviously what Jackson does. Jackson's the only other guy that's even left the door open. Um, but I guess you could consider in a roundabout way Toppin to have been in that class just with the transfer, and he should be back. But and, and he's the most confident that I am that's coming back because he was considered a developmental piece when they got him, right? Like he wasn't even expected to play or be eligible this past season. So uh, to me, I'm the most confident that he's locked in for another year. And, you know, Keon's dad in the conversations with Kyle Tucker and the Athletic, I mean, it sounds like Keon's on board. Would like to say, though, that we had those same conversations from Devin Askew's family, that you just – you don't want to assume anything. Yeah. And what's taking so long with Davion Mint's situation? Is this a situation where Cal's going and getting his guys in the portal first and then that's going to be announced if he's coming back? Maybe not wanting to kind of scare anybody off when it comes to the backcourt pieces, which don't know how much Davion Mintz is going to scare someone off. It's not like you have an, an NBA guard there, but – if you see another body there, do you want to kind of be in there and then you kind of announce that Davion Mintz is coming back and get it figured out then? I don't know. I don't either. <laughs> this solo roster stuff, I just – Giving me a headache. <laughs> yeah, I think about it a lot. <laughs> just some of the names that they're rumored with, you just – yeah, you do wonder – like Kessler, for example. And I don't – I know I think Kentucky still wants Kessler. And I'd take him. Yeah, but Absolutely. I mean, we're—I don't know. Are you pushing? <laughs> so that's the thing. Are you are you actually pushing people out? Is that, like that's that's the day and age we're in right now, though, with the transfer portal, right? Back when you had a Devin Askew on your program or in your program, and you had a freshman season like that, the kid's in an awful spot because then if he leaves, he has to sit out a year and loses a year. Now you don't have that anymore, so you're technically it. You're not really pushing people out directly, but when you look at it, did he get recruited over? At Kentucky, you do if you're not gone by a certain time, right? But he had to be because you had to go get pieces. Because if we were – every one of us expected Devin Askew to do what? Move off the ball. Mm -hmm. Was he going to move off the ball, though, and play ahead of Kellen Grady and Dante Allen? Should he have you, – you think he would have played over Dante just from a commitment standpoint? I, yes, I think Cal would have played him. But still. should he have played over him, though? Like, should he? Probably not. I don't think so. If you're talking about off the ball and skill set, I think it should be Dante. I like I like it better with Dante being the top uh, – well, I guess Hickman might be considered a top guard option depending on what happens, but I, I like – I like Dante better in a role if you're just looking for some bench scoring over what Askew was going to give you. And that's what I was going to say that you told me last night that I really agreed with you on. And I was talking about it on Sources Say today about you talking about Dante and how you were afraid that it might have taken away from his role. Him coming off the bench for another year is the best situation for Kentucky and for Dante Allen 
but if he gets to junior year and he could slide in and start, I really like what Dante Allen could be. But I, I don't want to throw him in as a starter next year. I want him to be that scoring instant three-point shooter offense that comes off the bench. Then you can space the floor with Kellen Grady and him together and who else you have on the perimeter. You kind of like what Kentucky starts to do offensively. I definitely like that option better for, for Dante. And I think it's going to get to that point. Um, I guess the only thing – have we hit on the possibilities that Mintz doesn't come back? Uh, we could go through every scenario, but what he I'm just doesn't. thinking – They're adding two guards. So you think they would add another one? I do. I don't know if it would be a portal guy or if it would be a high school guy. But even then, you could see a scenario where – I could see a scenario where Allen started. If that was if you if you had a point guard, Grady's your two guard, then depending on what Keon, I mean, I could see Keon being a three then if that's the scenario and he came back. I think that's probably more likely than Dante starting. But maybe there would be a scenario where Dante would be there. I think they will get it to where Dante will be one of the first guys off the bench, though. My ideal five next year for starters would be. Marcus Carr at the point. I'm just with their connection to Carr. I'm just saying that if that's the guy they get, Marcus Carr at the point, Davion Mintz at the two, Kellen Grady running that other guard position, that wing spot at the three, Keon Brooks at the four if he's committed to coming back, and then Oscar Sheboy at the five. I like that because you've got enough shooting on the perimeter for spacing. You've got a point guard who can get by someone and can finish with either hand, can set the table for everyone else offensively. You have a physical big man. And you've got a face-up guy at the four, Keon Brooks, who does shoot it well enough and can create and is explosive, really good in transition. I like what you have with that lineup. And then you're talking about Dante Allen coming off the bench. If you want to add another shooter, slide. That's the thing. Is Kentucky going to get to enough pieces where they run a Dante Allen at a four or something like that and they go to a four-guard look with one big? I mean, you, you're the one that pointed out to me the other day, national championship game 2011 or uh, not national championship game, the <laughs> final four game against UConn, Terrence Jones was running the five with Miller. And then you had the Liggins, I think, and, and Knight yeah. and all those pieces and Lamb. Uh, does Cal get back to that at any point? Those were the teams that were really hard to guard because they could shoot it one through four. And, and Terrence Jones was enough of a threat offensively. They could shoot it. You had to contest it, but then he'd just blow by you. I almost see this in a way – um, obviously I'm not comparing them exactly as players, but like that team, you really had the one, I'd say, thumper down low with Harrelson. Yeah. I could see Sheboy being that. They, they That team did not have the luxury of having a guy like Damian Collins off the bench, though, whereas I think this team w- would have that. But uh, a, a solid point guard with the shooters all around, I mean, it's been a minute at Kentucky since since they've had that option, and I think they will have that next year if it's utilized that way and that was just something I was thinking about like in some ways Cal's been more prone to play three guards like the the bigs playing there this year I, I mean I made fun of them for it I, I thought it was a terrible lineup yeah. to have Jacob Toppin at the three as much as they did like because he just didn't Sar and Jackson it was horrible yeah I mean I thought there was just some bad lineup combinations this year but it was just a product, I think, of just them being a bad team overall, whereas in years past, like, I mean, Briscoe wasn't much of a threat to shoot, but you saw both years he was at Kentucky, they started three guards with him there. You go back to 2011 
when Liggins, I mean, I, I would classify Liggins as a guard. I believe it was. Yeah. Or no, it was a little different because they used Miller at the three in that game, I guess. So Liggins is actually starting two guard. Lamb came off the bench, which I did not remember that being the case. Maybe yeah. that wasn't something that happened all year, but you could see a more. I just thought maybe that the way that 2011 team was, it could be a little bit more similar to that next year, but probably not though. If if Jackson's yeah. back, because I don't think you'll. I, I don't know. He's he's a big piece to me. You get a guy like Carr and you get Jackson, I could see them fans being back on board for a pretty big season. But as it stands right now, I mean, there's still a lot of still a lot of question marks to figure yeah. out. There's one that's a big question mark to me that will tell what they do, and that's Davion Mintz. Like, because if if he, whenever that domino falls one way or the other, you want to add. I, I think they will add two more backcourt pieces, and Mintz will either be one of them or he won't be. Like, if he is, then they're going to go add one more. But essentially, you're adding two because you're getting another year of him. The biggest question is, Derek, is they do they add a third piece somewhere, but not to the backcourt, to the front court? I I'm confident that they'll add. I'm counting Mintz as one of them, as two more guys. Mintz being one, and then possibly Carr, if that's who they targeted at point guard. Do they try to add anybody to the front court, or is Keon coming back, and then they've kind of just chalked it up as that's their front court? If they if they don't, if Keon does come back, I don't think they need to add a front court piece because I don't want to log jam it there. I, I'd like I'd like for Kentucky to have Keon Brooks on the roster. I can't imagine these coaches like having to wait until July now potentially to figure out what their roster might look like next year. No, that's, that's got to be a headache for all them. But this is going to be a lot of the talk. Just bear with us because it's going to change. Definitely weekly it's changing. Yeah. I mean, a week ago, Kellen Grady was a Kentucky Wildcat, and we had all that to talk about. And then now you're moving into this week. You know, you're getting – the Marcus Carr talk and, and everything else. Devin Askew's left. It's it's starting to make a little bit more sense than what it did a week ago. It was very messy when Devin Askew was a part of this, and then they're still trying to add transfer guards because we're sitting there thinking, how does this work? Which is why I'm thinking the same thing about the front court. If they're involved with Walker Kessler, someone is leaving, unless someone decides that they're just a project piece and they want a red shirt. Yeah. And who's doing that in 2021, though? Like who red shirts in 2021 if not for a health reason? Yeah, nobody. There's no. too many options now to, to have to wait around. Yeah. There's no more I'm going to grind. And I'm not saying, like, I don't want to sound like an, I'm not an old guy, so I don't want to sound like an old guy. I, I I think it's good that players have options. But the days of a kid grinding it out until their junior or senior year with hopes of starting whenever you could have a player of Kentucky's caliber most years who could start at a lot of schools. Like you're just not going to hang around anymore and do that. And uh, what's the transfer portal out now? Number wise. I'm not seeing that. Most of the attention from these national guys who have been tracking it, it's been on the title game. So I've not seen as much. Um, I'm trying to see if it's got, if it's your number by now though, right? 1400. That's what I'm thinking. It might've got to, I'm seeing if I don't think Travis has put anything out. I mean, you got names going in the portal that just – I mean, you could see these names helping any school out. Like, or is there a small college guard that goes into the portal that, that helps out? Um, also, I, I said this on a few other episodes. Have you noticed, I think a couple of schools have already had guys who had gone in the portal who have already gone back to their school. You saw that with the, the kid from Indiana. I think yeah. you'll end up seeing a lot more of that once they kind of weigh – Weigh the landscape and, and realize that 
wherever they are might be better than just leaving. And it might be good here pretty soon for us to get one of these guys on, one of these recruiting guys or one of these insiders to come on and kind of just break things down. Uh, I think Jimmy Dykes would be another one too when all this is wrapped up because he's the one that said it, seven to eight new guys. I want to know why he said it. I want to know what kind of played into that. And I, I think we could get Jimmy on here again, especially if it gets to seven and eight new guys. And it certainly is moving towards that, Derek. But I think we've kind of hit on everything. We've hit on all possibilities, in my opinion. Uh, you can never assume if you're covering the Kentucky basketball program. So we're going to just talk about it daily, obviously, and then we'll wait and see what happens tomorrow, this evening. We don't know what awaits us from the hours of 4 to 10. We have no idea. Anything could break. Uh, we don't know what happens tomorrow. But it seems like that we're on this thing where it's one piece of news a week. I mean, we had the news of Grady last week, and then you it was really quiet again. And then you get Devin Askew deciding transfer, which tells me that decisions are taking – like conversations are taking place right now when it comes to what they want to do. Because now that they're getting to a point college basketball season's over, I expect decisions and stuff to maybe speed up a little bit, Derek, because now everyone that's going into the portal is probably going to be going in. You don't want to miss out now on someone because you don't want to just assume that you're going to get somebody else. Well, I'll be in Cincinnati tomorrow for the Reds game. It's a day game, so I would say between 12.30 and maybe 3 p.m., something will probably happen where I won't be around my computer. So look for news to happen then, (laughs) whatever Mm. it may be. And we'll be sure when something does happen, whenever possible, we'll we'll get something out there out there to you. As always, thank you all so much for continuing to listen and support Kentucky Daily. We're, we're grateful. We're trending in the top 100 right now. I think, Derek, we've been sitting inside the top 100, if I'm not mistaken, for about 10 straight days now, which is incredible. And it's all because of you all who listen to the show. Continue to give us ratings, reviews, uh, submit mailbag questions. I've already got four, I think, for Friday's episode. Might look at maybe doing a midweek mailbag, Derek. If we get a full mailbag with some of these topics, we might do something there uh, to see what happens. Uh, And as soon as this thing is over with, we will do a full mailbag on just the basketball roster itself. We'll talk football as we go throughout this. Uh, He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.